This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. It's Behind Enemy Lines here on the Blood Red channel, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along with the Reds out to turn the theatre of dreams into the stage of nightmares once more as they head to take on arch rivals Manchester United on Monday night. Coming up, we'll discuss the Red Devils' start to the new season, the impact or lack of Eric Ten Hag has managed to have at Old Trafford and plenty more besides. To get into all of that, pleasure to welcome Rich Fade from the Manchester Evening News across Enemy Lines here on the Blood Red channel. Rich, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, don't know what to expect ahead of Monday. Like I said, we'll get into that. But sunshine in, what could possibly go wrong for United after uh, those two opening defeats? Yeah, Brighton and Brentford, uh, I suppose. Let's let's start even before then. And, and Eric Ten Hag's appointment, of course, it was much talked about throughout the course of last season. Nolly Gunnar Solskjaer, of course, leaving in the autumn. And, and ever since then, it seemed to be a two-horse race between Ten Hag and Maurizio Pochettino. Finally announced, what, in April before taking over in the summer. There was much fanfare to him coming in. It seems to have dissipated quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it was a two-horse race. I think supporters just wanted something new, something different, really. I mean, they've gone. United have gone down every single sort of route. If you're going down sort of manager profiles, you know, they've had Oliver oh, Solskjaer, the former player. They've had Louis van Harlis, you know, veteran of the game who's done it all before. Jose Mourinho, who you know was the chosen one at the time for United. He was the ideal candidate, and they haven't worked out. So Ten Hag was this sort of why not why not take the risk I know his success was limited to Dutch football but he had good pedigree in the Champions League built two good Ajax teams as well particularly the second team after he'd already sold Frankie de Jong to Barcelona sold Matthias de Ligt to Ajax obviously Van der Beek was to leave uh, for United as well two years ago and he he has that pedigree there's there's no denying that but I think quickly fans have realised that there is a big difference between the Eredivisie and the Premier League and I think Ten Hag has slowly come to terms with realising that yes Ajax are a massive club United are a behemoth this is an even bigger challenge on, on on his on his hands now and it's not just about getting the team playing right there's so much off-field you know issues at United to deal with as well particularly with the fresh protests over the Glazer ownership which should probably be the backdrop to the game on Monday. Yeah, there's there's a a web that's been tangled, isn't it? And he he's kind of there trying to undo undo all the knots that have kind of been tied up. But looking at the first couple of games, to me, the thing that that, that really does strike, and you mentioned obviously he's managed in the era divisi, but he's managed also and come through with with Ajax within a system where the playing identity is is so well ingrained in what they do. You reeled off the different managers there and the takes on which they've had with the squad. I mean, even you cast your eye back to to last summer and it looked as though Solskjaer had, had kind of finally maybe implemented a bit of what he wanted. He had a number of domestic players in the team, a number of young players. He, he kind of crowned that all off with Jadon Sancho's arrival. And then just on top of that, dumped Rafael Varane and Cristiano Ronaldo, two veterans, and have won an awful lot in their careers. And Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, a, a fantastic player, but it seemed to jerk with what he'd been doing prior. And now Ten Hag seems to have a squad that you just look at the goalkeeper, doesn't seem to be capable, really, of what he wants to do and probably caught in two minds himself now as to whether he, he doubles down on his principles or has to try and alter things slightly and go against the grain. Yeah, he's made some very big calls there. I think what is interesting for me is if you look at that lineup that he's used in the first, first few games and the team he's inherited, De Gea, 
Alex Ferguson signing. You've got Luke Shaw in there, who's uh, Van Gaal signing. You've still got Mourinho signings. You've got Solskjaer signings. It's still, and now you've got Ten Hag signings. That is still a real melting pot of players. Where I think if you look at Liverpool and look at Man City, that is a squad that the managers have curated themselves as the cherry picked talent across Europe. They've got a team that not only plays their way, but it's the personnel they want as well. Ten Hag is still so early on into this United rebuild, and it is crucial they have patience because. There's still going to be questions about him as a manager and you he's still very open to criticism. You can't just brush that aside and say, well, the owners are the problem. He's not got the squad he wants. Ten Hag still has these faults and I think the team he put out against Brentford last weekend, that was an Ajax team that goes and plays Hidden Veen or go-ahead Eagles, you know, where he doesn't have to worry about having defensive solidity and he doesn't really worry about the opposition too much. Premier League's very different in that aspect. So Ten Hag still is culpable for some of the issues but it is still so early on in that process. I think that there still needs to be extensive squad overhaul. Like you said, he's made a bit bold call on the goalkeepers. I, I, I think that's already backfired and I can't see that sort of ending well for him this season because that is just a square peg in a round hole. De Gea does not play that style of football. No other manager has been able to change that. The reason he doesn't play for Spain is because he doesn't fit their system of play. Ten Hag has to have self-belief, but that stinks of arrogance for me. And I think he needs that real reality check that... Yes, he's got ideas of how he wants to change United, but there's a reason why some of these changes haven't happened already. I know Solskjaer was limited as a manager, but if he thought that De Gea could play up from the back, he would have tried it himself. He knew it, it couldn't happen, so he didn't do it. You know, All these other managers have seen those shortcomings and, and, and avoided them, but Ten Hag seems to be walking into these traps. So, yeah, it's still two minds. It's still very early on, and I know that Maybe I think everyone watching this probably has watched all or nothing. You only have to go to what, see how Arsenal started last season, that the first three games don't necessarily dictate how the entire season goes. And I think, you know, I, I think you always have to give anyone five games before you seriously can judge them. And, and for United, I think it is very premature to be writing them off entirely, particularly because if they win on Monday, they go ahead of Liverpool and you can queue a million tweets saying which is the team in crisis then. But United have a lot of work to do. They need patience and the, the fact of the matter is they've stuck with Ten Hag. Now they need to back him. Yeah, and I suppose within that, I mean, you look at the, the clubs who, who have set the standard in Liverpool and Manchester City over the last five years or so. Jurgen Klopp came in in November, had pretty much a, a three-quarters of a season to or two-thirds of a season to look at his squad and, and decide what he wanted to do before then altering it. Had then a year out of Champions League football to really concentrate on getting that qualification. Pep Guardiola, his first season almost ended without Champions League qualification at Manchester City, saw the shortcomings of his squad, brought in his new fullbacks, really kind of changed the way in what in, in how he made that City team operate and saw immediate success with that. So I, I take your point on that with, with Eric Ten Hag, but equally, as you say, he is culpable for some of the issues. And I think sort of onlookers from afar, the Lissandro Martinez deal, a few people have scratched their head at he's a five foot nine centre half, really capable of playing in a back three. Uh, sorry, in a back two, should he not be a, a back three or even a, a full back? And, and equally on Christian Eriksen, starting as a false nine one week and then as a deep lying midfielder the next. Yeah, it's it, again for me that just stinks of a manager who look, look, Ten Hag built a great Ajax team the second time around, but it's a great Ajax team built of Premier League rejects. Got Steven Bergwijn, who's just gone there. Sebastian Haller was the main man up front. Dusan Tadic, you know, there's these players who didn't necessarily do great in the Premier League. Got David Klaassen there, you know, who used to play for Everton. It was awful. 
there, there's a completely different standard in Dutch football than there is in English football. And that's going to be found out very soon. Lissandro Martinez was the centre-back that Ten Hag wanted. United themselves, the hierarchy had identified other targets. Pau Torres at Villarreal was deemed the most attainable and most suitable left-footed centre-back if he wanted one. He said, no, I want Lissandro Martinez. I know what he does. Obviously, clips will go viral of him whenever he gets beaten for a header, etc. His height wasn't the, wasn't the problem against Brentford, but they were targeting him a lot. He still has to build that centre-back partnership with Maguire. I think it can come good, so I'll, I'll, I will give him lenience on that and say, you know, if that's what he's done, you know, stick with him for a few weeks and he's got to just, just build upon that. Although the, the news is that it might be Rafael Varane who partners him against Liverpool on Monday night instead of Maguire, yeah, a candidate to be dropped from the, from the starting lineup. Christian Eriksen, again, that just stinks of United just in recent years. There's no other team that would have bought him to be a starter. He, he came to United to be a squad player and already he's been promoted to that starring role. Like you said, started as a false nine, then goes to a deep line midfield role. They just don't know how to use him already. And that sums Ten Hag up the most for me. He's got the players he wanted, but he doesn't know how to use them. Malassia doesn't start quite yet. Martinez, like I said, there's the doubts there. Eriksen, squad player who's already starting. and. United just don't have a long-term plan and it all comes to that. And again, that all that stems from the top, from the owners and the, the wrong hierarchy you know, below them. But it comes down to Ten Hag as well. He doesn't have that long-term vision really of, of what he wants for this United side because if he did, Ericsson wouldn't be starting these games and he'd have a clearer idea of the type of players maybe he does want to bring in. He's gone from what, chasing Frankie Diong all summer to now inadvertently stumbling across Casemiro, two completely different types of midfielders. So what is it that United actually want? They still don't quite know. And the, the jury is very much out on his recruitment side of things. But this is a United side that should be performing a far, far greater standard than they are doing already. And yeah, Monday's a real chance for both sides, but particularly United to make a statement and for Ten Hag as well to prove that he really can do it against the best managers and teams in the Premier League. Yeah, definitely. How big is that that central midfield chasm then that has appeared at Old Trafford? I mean, what are we into? A fourth season of Fred and McTominay looking as though they're the first choice central midfield pairing? I mean, derided on social media over the last few years anyway, and, and yet United still sort of seem to persist. You look at the centre-half options, and, and personally, I, I don't think Harry Maguire is as poor a player as he's made out to be. I mean, Manchester City were interested in him when United bought him. They don't often sort of go for, for duds too often in the transfer market, albeit maybe their centre-half recruitment has been questionable over the years. Varane has been a serial winner in his career. Lindelof looked very good during the the, the previous World Cup with, with Sweden in a compact unit as well. To me, it seems to be what's in front of them exposes them so often. And as I say, that, that chasm has, has arrived there and we're into the final two weeks of the transfer window and still not been addressed for United. Not addressed yet. Casemiro looks like it will be done, won't be registered in time to play against Liverpool on Monday, though I was told uh, early on Friday morning, I was told by a source, no chance that that would be be done in time for for him to feature on on Monday night. But I think Casemiro will come in and do that. The problem for United is that the the choices they've got are, are very contrasting. I mean, I think it will be Fred and McTominay again on Monday night. And strangely, I think that's the type of game that suits them. When United are out of possession, can adopt the underdog tag, and the midfield's responsibility is just to sort of harass their opponents, to press, pressurise them, force them into errors, 
then Fred and McTominay are quite good at that. You know, they've got the mobility, uh, but they're very restrictive when they're in possession of the ball. They they can't break through the lines. Distribution's poor. They've got the first touch of a trampoline between them. But against Liverpool, they might be able to embrace that underdog stature again, like they did under Oligon Solskjaer. The space when Liverpool push up high, we've seen that in the opening two games of the season. So I think that, strangely enough, Fred and McTominay are a decent sort of selection for the bigger games, but it's games when United are in possession and the, you know, the onus is on them to take the game to their opposition. As we saw against Brighton, we saw against Brentford, United just couldn't do that. But when they play on a counter-attack, it's a midfield unit that, that they can get away with. Obviously, it's not ideal. The, the dream is them to go you know, toe-to-toe with, with Liverpool and City, which I think Casemiro might be, be, be able to bring. And they might be able to do that for a, a short time. But you're right. that For me, the reason why United do leak so many goals is because they're so easy to play through. And whenever you can see the goal, you can blame the centre-backs. That's, that's the obvious route to take. But the real problem is that midfield and, and the lack of protection they get from there. So it's a massive game for them. And... You know, I do think that the best chance of United getting a victory, oddly enough, is with Fred and McTominay, just because United will be the underdogs and they will be the team who are likely to to have less of the ball. And I think that could suit them if they, you know, go into accepting that their best chance of getting a result is by trying to hit Liverpool on the counter-attack. Again, though, the worry is Ten Hag wants to go proactive. He wants to play Liverpool their own game. And if he does that, it could be another massacre. Behind enemy lines on the Blood Red channel. Yeah, we'll get on to, as you say, what could actually happen on the pitch. But before that, let's go back to to rosier times. And these two sides have already faced each other since Eric Ten Hag has has been in the dugout. Of course, out in in Thailand in pre-season, it was a convincing win for Manchester United. Read what you can into a a first pre-season outing for the two sides. But on on that occasion, Anthony Martial was available, was playing up front, and it seemed to click and look dynamic at the top end of the pitch for Manchester United. He's obviously unavailable for this one. And and so we move on to, to Cristiano Ronaldo. Where, where do you want to start, Rich? Where do you start on that one? Yeah, and I mean, pre-season, let's just push that to one side. That does not matter. It just does not matter at all. I'm not even going to entertain that. But it is interesting, the fluid front three. That's where United have their best joy when they've got these free forwards who can all interchange and, you know, cause that movement, wreak havoc. You know, they, they've, been, they've been great. And I do think Rashford, Sancho and Martial is a good front three, like I said, because it's got so much movement and so much fluidity to it. And every one of those players can play in each of the other positions, really. They can they can really adjust on the fly and they can really terrorise a defence that's not well drilled. But the problem, like you said, is that won't be happening this weekend. So it falls to Ronaldo. And Ronaldo, you know, is he the problem? Is he the problem solver? Last season, he scored goals, but he detracted from the way that United play football. You can't deny that at all. He wants to leave. That's Everyone's well aware of that. And from a political point of view, you've got to get rid of any player who doesn't doesn't fully believe and isn't fully committed to the system. And, you know, he said that he's going to give this interview in the coming weeks where all the truths will be laid bare on the table, which colour kit he'll be wearing at that moment in time remains to be seen. But... Ten Hag changed his mind on Ronaldo. He is now more open to, to getting rid of him. But United, from their own point of view, will want it to be a, a financially lucrative deal, really. Not necessarily in terms of a big transfer fee, but someone has to pay all those wages. So you can't be loaning him out if, if a team's not going to do that. You've got to remember the commercial value Ronaldo has as well. He's a marketing behemoth himself. And United shirt sales with Ronaldo on the back are still, you know, 
the top seller at the mega store. He is still such a big part of everything they do away from the footballing side of things, which sums United up. They think is a business, not a football club. In terms of what we might see from on Monday, if fit, he has to start. And Ronaldo himself was reliable in some of the big games last season. You know, he got that hatch against Tottenham, which was crucial. He got some big goals in the Champions League as well. The issue, though, is against Man City and Liverpool last season, he was completely anonymous. He, he did nothing. And he also, you know, he has such high standards that when United aren't performing well, which could be the case on Monday, he is such a negative to have on the pitch because he does strop, he does get angry, he gets frustrated, and that, you know, falls into his teammates as well. And they all look up to him as as the pinnacle and, and that leader on the pitch. So when things aren't going right, Ronaldo really can be a problem. And I think he is the only option that I'd have to start up front on Monday. So they've got to go for that. He should have the drive. He should have the determination to to prove he can still do it against the elite because he's not done that. The goals in the Champions League came against decent sides, Villarreal, Atalanta, but they aren't the big boys of Europe, are they? And Tottenham, it, lads, it's Tottenham. It's not Man City. It's not Liverpool. He still has to do that. And since he's been back at United, he's not performed in one of these massive games yet. So the onus is on him to do it. And if he says he's you know worthy of still playing in the Champions League, go and prove it. Yeah, you, you say there, he, is, he the, is he the problem? Is he the problem solver? I mean, at the, the stage of his career, he's at, as you say, the, the wage he's on as well. I mean, if you had to sort of stick your head on the line and sort of say, by the 1st of September, will he be at United or not? I suppose the indication now feels more he won't be, but it's by what course that action may well be executed as you referenced Arsenal before they they kind of had to write off a number of big contracts to get themselves to a starting point of getting back to where they wanted to be and it does feel as though the longer he lingers the worse the the, the, the kind of acidity of, of his personality will come out and and the worse it, the effect it could have on the dressing room absolutely but Arsenal have a plan Manchester United don't have a long-term plan so they can't maybe commit to those you know, ruthless decisions of, right, this player doesn't fit, get rid of him. It's a short-term loss for a long-term gain. We've got to take the hit. United don't have that plan, so I don't think they can sanction those those sort of ruthless decisions as easily as, as Arsenal did. And, you know, Ronaldo, he, from my personal point of view, he has to go. He has to go because he doesn't want to be there. But who wants him? Nobody, none of the elite teams want him. And, you know, you see, maybe I go back to Sporting Lisbon, but can they afford him? I don't think they can. And, you know, his wage demands are so big. Yes, his commercial value will will benefit any team who takes him on, but it's such a big risk and such a big hit for any other side. And he's almost priced out of a move before deadline day. You know, someone's got to compromise. Ronaldo's either got to lower his demands or United are going to have to, you know, like I said, consider terminating his contract. But... The, the word from United has always been that he's not for sale. That, is, that has been their official stance throughout the entire summer. So it's a fascinating one and it's a real sort of power play. And again, Ten Hag's, summer, Ten Hag's first summer in charge, he needs to stamp his authority. And if, he, if Ten Hag believes that Ronaldo should be allowed to go, the club have to back him. And if they don't, they're just repeating the mistakes of the past. 
Yeah, no, we've, we've spoken then about kind of the Manchester United transfers, the, the style of play Ten Hag has tried to instill thus far, as well as Cristiano Ronaldo as well. Let's talk about last season. From a Liverpool perspective, it's great to talk about. From a Manchester United one, not so much. 9-0 aggregate win, 5-0 at Old Trafford. I mean, if something similar were to, to be served up at Old Trafford on Monday night, what do you think the, the, the reception, the reaction and... I suppose just the feel around Manchester United would be. Would that be the low point, or do you think there's there's even further for them to sink? I think Brentford's the low point for me because against Liverpool, you can almost hand, hold your hands up to a degree and say they are the better team. Everyone knows that they've got a, a manager who's way further down with his, down the timeline with his project. They've got a team that we said you know is catered to for for his needs and his style of play. They are one of the best teams in the world, one of the best Premier League teams of all time. So I think you can hold your hands up to a degree and say, look, they are just better than us. You know, that's not a surprise. And I don't think it would be a surprise if Liverpool came and went 3-4-0 again. You know, I, I don't think that is. And I think also from that point of view, you know, like we said, there's got to be the protests on Monday. If United then went out and got a result, it would be papering over the cracks. It would be giving this false optimism and people really saying, well, it's not as bad as people saying then, why are United fans getting so upset? Because they can still beat Liverpool on their day. That's not the point. There's a far bigger picture here for United fans. So I think that a defeat obviously would dampen the mood, but it would almost prove United fans' point that there is a lot of work to do. And you've gone and you've got the manager you wanted. You've got some of the players he wanted. Casemiro possibly about to join. And you're still getting absolutely embarrassed by your fiercest rivals. You know, I think it just emphasises the the anger at United, really, and the golfing class and the fact that this isn't a quick fix. So... I don't think it would be, you know, end of the end of the line already. Like we said, it's only three games into the season as well. So you, you, you'd be stupid to be too rash and reactionary off that. Obviously, United would then need to respond. But for me, the, the low point was Brentford. It doesn't get any lower than that. And that's no offence to them. They're such a good team. And Klopp said in his press conference as well that, you know, you've got to give them more respect and realise how good they are. That is true. But Brentford are, you know, not a traditional top side and a team who United with all respect should should be putting in a far better showing against so for me I think the low point's already been and the Liverpool game certainly not a free hit certainly they need to put in a much improved performance at least and you know if United were to lose 2-0 but play much better and feel hard done by then that is a positive that's something to build upon if they get thrashed like I said it only emphasises just how I rate the fans are already and the need for change uh, at the top of the club and the fact that they need to stick by Ten Hag because there isn't a quick fix available for them. Behind enemy lines on the Blood Red Channel. You mentioned anger. I suppose, is it even apathy at this point? What What is the mood amongst the fan base? As you say, there's, there's going to be the protests that are planned for the game. Obviously, we, we saw what happened, obviously, during pandemic ball at Old Trafford when fans stormed the pitch and actually the game was was abandoned. I mean, what is the, the overall feeling within the fan base now? Is it is it just desolation at what has what has happened to Manchester United? Absolutely. And supporters would you know, I, I've spoken to lots of supporters. I've seen the sort of mood on social media as well. Fans would write off this season if it meant there was a change of ownership. You know, they they would take that again, that short term hit for a long term gain, because they're just disgusted and feel so disillusioned and disenchanted with the way the team's being run. And you know, even last season, it was the worst statistical ever. You know, Premier League season, but of course, football didn't begin in 1992. 
But United fans would say that is the worst United side they've ever seen. Even worse than the side that got relegated. Because the side from last season wasn't reflective of, you know, the hard working ethic of the the working class fans. You know, there was just nothing to relate and nothing likable about that side at all. So United fans just feel really dis- disillusioned. They're well aware that their, their, their football club is a business first and foremost. They're well aware that commercial success is the, all, you know, all that matters to the to the owners. They've got owners who don't invest money, who take money from the club. Debts have risen to five hundred million pound almost, and you know, gross debt with with, with all the overdraft takes it closer to six hundred million. So there's a there's a lot of anger and a lot of frustration, and it's starting to feel like you know, with all the takeover news this week, that there could be light at the end of the tunnel. But United fans know there's a lot of fight to, to give yet, but the the entire mood is just one of anger frustration and disillusionment really because they love this club you can't turn off your love for a club you know it's in your blood you've done it since you're a kid and that's always going to be ingrained in you and united fans would love it absolutely love it to go kevin keegan if they beat united beat liverpool on monday you know they that is what means the most isn't it because that is the most fierce rivalry in english football and those two sides absolutely hate each other and of course you want the bragging rights but if you said to united fan Liverpool win 5 0 on Monday, but you get the takeover complete. I think they'd all snap your hand off at that because there's a wider picture at play here. And United fans are just fed up and they know that a win against Liverpool will paper those cracks, but it won't solve anything long term. It's mad, isn't it? Because when you when you listen to you speaking there effectively, if a takeover is to happen, I mean, get your opinion on, on that after, but just before that, you look at it the last. This season, we're two games in and probably Manchester United fans ready to near on right off what is going to happen in terms of actually whether they'll they'll get into the Champions League. There were even some thinking United were going to bounce back towards kind of challenging or even finishing third this season, which seems absolutely remarkable now. But if a takeover is to happen, that's then going to take another drawn out process and effectively would just be two seasons written off from finishing second. Now, that albeit could have could be labelled as a false position given it was played largely behind closed doors. But a club of Manchester United size and stature surely can't just be writing off two seasons as early into campaigns as A, they did last year when they let Solskjaer go and then just tread water for the remainder of the season. And then, and then this year go, well, not quite Ten Hag's team yet. Let's just wait and see where we finish and deal with it next summer. Again, comes back to the long-term plan. They don't think long-term. So they'll say, well, this season we can take the hit and then next season we'll be, we'll be better, better. But they don't have a plan in place to do that. So I was going to say, what was what was the plan last season then? If it was, exactly. oh, let's sack Solskjaer, wait for the new manager. Surely that idea was, well, next season we're going to hit it hard when they, they, they've stalled and stuttered in the transfer market and the team looked worse than they were last year. Well, you know, the pieces have changed, but the puzzle's still the same. United have had some hierarchical, you know, overhauls in the summer, but still the same people in the same roles, effectively, and nothing has changed. And that's the whole point. They've still got an unproven manager in charge. They've got a team that's not fit for purpose, that's been neglected for years. And nothing's going to change until there is drastic overhaul on, on the ownership side of things, because United are just going in this just draining cycle and it's just tedious and it feels like ground, groundhog day and like you said I, the second place finish a few years ago did give this false illusion because you get lots of United fans now on social media saying oh Solskjaer wasn't the problem altogether and of course Solskjaer wasn't the main problem but he was a problem you can't ignore that because he was tactically limited United were playing dreadful football and 
you can blame the owners for a large chunk of things at United because like we said it's just a, such a tedious repetitive process but at the end of the day there's a football team there that should be doing a lot better and the managers should be getting a lot more from their squad United just need fresh investment and they need that fresh belief really because it just feels like it's come to the end of the cycle and you know it reminds me of when AC Milan had all those years just in the doldrums and every season did seem to be written off for them because there was no sort of hope of it ever getting better and United just need that fresh belief for me and I think that the fans and everyone else is just down on their down on their sorrows really and they're just feeling sorry for themselves a bit which is understandable but they're not gonna get much sympathy from the wider football world we all know that they'll be saying this is karma for the you know the spoiled 90s and the noughties that they had with you know unrivaled success so it's a really difficult one because like you said it, it is really easy just to say will the ownership change things because it, it might not but i really do think that united being held back by owners who just simply aren't interested at all and it all stems from that yeah no definitely as you said there though not going to be much sympathy coming from the red half of Merseyside towards Manchester. That That's for sure. In terms of any potential takeover, then what's the stance on that? Because start of the week, there were there were murmurs coming out that the Glazers would be open to selling a minority stake in the club. And, and all of a sudden, it's sort of snowballed to actually could a, could a full-scale takeover be on the cards? It's a really interesting one. There's been lots of conflict and reports on that. So we you know, what we know is it does sound like the, the Glazers are well aware that they either need fresh investment or potential uh, full-on sale to, to address the cash flow issues at the club because, like I said, debt is continuously rising. They've just managed to factor that in as a sort of general business expense at, at, at this stage in time because the commercial and marketing growth and the TV revenues are, are back after after the COVID pandemic. So United are, you know, fine day today, really, but they have got this debt which is just lurking in the background. And as things stand, you know, the Glazers are aware that that's going to have to be eased at some point in time. When we, you know, officially sort of went to the club in the week for a stance, they just refused to comment on on, on the, the rumours at all. Uh, we know Sir Jim Ratcliffe has, has made it clear publicly that he would be interested if, if the opportunity came about. United, I still think, like I said, it's a, it's a long process. I can't see this just happening overnight, but there are, you know, murmurs that the Glazers are certainly more open to a, to a full sale of the club, uh, that the family are aware of the protests and, you know, you've got the sponsors as well being affected by the, the Glazers Out campaign on, on social media, fans looking to boycott anyone associated with the club as well. So the protests are certainly having an effect. They're certainly being felt across the pond. But like you said, I, I still... I believe it when I see it because it is still such a big process to go through. It would take so much money to buy the Glazers out. You've then got the debt to clear. You've got a team that needs investment and you've got a stadium that needs to be, you know, rejuvenated or rebuilt even. So it's a massive, massive amount of money that would be required. And, you know, saying you want to buy a club is very different in actually going ahead and doing it. So still very early days, still, lots of cautiousness about this one i wouldn't be getting too carried away saying so it's imminent because i really don't think it is and you know i think it probably no matter what happens i think it would start off with the glazers selling a smaller percentage of what they own already to to improve the cash flow to get some money back into the club but i i can't see it going into a full sale straight away i think there will be steps towards that yeah, no, interesting to see how it plays out then. Right, Rich, before you go, prediction time. We've got to get your take on what is going to happen on the pitch on Monday night. We talked around it plenty, but how do you think it'll all, it'll all 
play out in the end? You've said 3-0, you've said 5-0. Where, where are you hedging your bets? Well, because it's a Liverpool podcast, I'm I'm going to say two 0 Liverpool. I think they are just they are you know they're a far better team. They're still getting into their groove already. The players you know are still learning kind of how they adapt with life after Mane. Obviously, Nunes won't be available, but I still think there's a few little teething issues here. That obviously the injury worries as well for Liverpool going into the game and confidence maybe a bit knocked after the opening two matches, but they usually do respond in style. So I'm still back in Liverpool to win. Obviously, the devil's advocate in me is saying United could do something because if United adopt that Oligon Solskjaer-esque counter-attacking style of play, appreciate that they're the underdogs, I think they can have real joy in the counter-attack. I really, you know, could see them maybe scraping a draw because, you know, that's that's when United play best. But I don't think Ten Hag would do that. It's United at home. He's not won a game yet. And he's got that self-belief slash arrogance that he can actually beat Liverpool at their own game. So I think United will go proactive. I think it's very risky. The risk might pay off, but I would say 2-0 Liverpool. Right, interesting. We'll have to wait and see how it does play out. Rich Fay from the Manchester Evening News then joining us here on Behind Enemy Lines as we look ahead to Monday night's clash with Manchester United at Old Trafford. Do make sure to stick across everything on the Liverpool Echo website as well as here on the Blood Red channel. Plenty of reaction to the game to come. But for now, from myself, Guy Clark and Rich Fay, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.